Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. In this episode, we are looking at anxiety. AKA, this is another 101 episode on anxiety. So get pumped because this is Tiny Leaps. Big Welcome to another episode of Tiny Leaps, Big Changes, where I share simple strategies you can use to get more out of your life. My name is Greg Clunas, and in this episode, we are looking at anxiety. This is one of those things that we all struggle with. We've talked about a lot on this show, but the more we understand it, the more tricks and strategies we have to tackle it, the better off I think we are. And it's something that I definitely struggle with, I would say, on a day-to-day basis. I'm, I feel anxious a lot of the time. It's something that Rachel struggles with. It's something my mom struggles with. Like This is probably the most fundamental human feeling that we all sort of share and deal with on a day-to-day basis. And I think it's important to really understand what we can do about it. So this is going to be a sort of basics of anxiety episode where we the only goal is to fill in some of our gaps and add a real understanding about what anxiety is, what it does, how our brains are handling it, like what's actually happening up there when we feel anxious and what we can do about it, of course, because this is the most practical show in personal development. Cool. So I appreciate you tuning in and let's jump right into the episode. So the first question we want to answer is what exactly is anxiety? So just to tie this back for anyone who uh, maybe doesn't fully understand anxiety, I want to share this piece of it before we jump into the quotes that I've pulled from other people, purely because this is something that I struggled with a lot. So I remember growing up, I didn't have a word for what I was doing when I felt anxious. I didn't fully understand what anxiety was. So I would get that feeling, right? That feeling in the pit of my stomach. I would feel the chills and get goosebumps and shaky and all of that stuff, right? That I now understand are symptoms of anxiety. But back then when I was a kid, I didn't know that. And I grew up in a family. I I love them to death, but we weren't exactly talkers when it came to emotions and feelings and things like that. That, that. That wasn't the type of family that we were. And so I never had the language to describe what I was feeling and put a label on it. And that was something, it's so interesting because I didn't even know that I didn't have the language. Like I went through, I think it was in college actually. It's when I met Rachel that I fully understood that, oh, that feeling in the pit of my stomach, that's anxiety. I didn't know that. I just thought I had a stomachache. I just knew it was that feeling, but I didn't know what that feeling was or what I could do about it. So the reason I'm going on this whole backstory thing is if you grew up like me, 
and you didn't have those outlets growing up where you could learn how to define these things. If you didn't really know what anxiety was, maybe you didn't have a label for it and you couldn't talk about it with anybody. That's what it is, right? It's that feeling in the pit of your stomach. And of course, it feels different for everybody. Some people, it's sweating. Some people, it's like you're hyperventilating. Some people, like you just feel tightness in your chest. Some people, it's in your stomach. For me, it was always in my stomach. But that is what anxiety is. It's that feeling of nervousness, that not positive nervousness that you get about a future thing. So the actual definition from an article on healthline.com that I've got linked up in the description is, quote, anxiety is your body's natural response to stress. It's a feeling of fear or apprehension about what's to come. The first day of school, going to a job interview, or giving a speech may cause most people to feel fearful and nervous. But if your feelings of anxiety are extreme, last for longer than six months, and are interfering with your life, you may have an anxiety disorder. End quote. So the big takeaway here is very simple. Anxiety, it's that feeling in your stomach or your chest or wherever you get it. But ultimately, it's a fear of the future. It's a fear of what is to come, what you expect to happen. And we did an episode a while back on a term that I absolutely love called catastrophizing. Right. So when you catastrophize, for anyone who didn't listen to that, catastrophizing is having an event happen and taking it to the worst possible outcome. And then as a second step to that, taking that worst possible outcome and going as far as possible in a negative direction. But catastrophizing happens and we feel anxious. Like it's sort of a direct relationship, right? We feel anxious and therefore we catastrophize and we catastrophize, therefore we feel more anxious. But it is a fear of the future. It's a fear of this thing hasn't happened yet, but we are fearful or we think that this thing will happen or we think it'll happen in this particular way. And so we start feeling the physical ramifications of that worry and stress. And something I want to point out here, and this isn't necessarily a dig at anybody. Like, like I said, I struggled from this myself. I've struggled from it since I was a child. But when you have that feeling of anxiety, it is a surefire sign that you are not living in the present. Think about that. When you have that feeling of anxiety, it is a sign that you are not currently living in the present. Why do I say that? Because anxiety inherently is a fear of the future. It's a fear of what's to come. That means your mind is not thinking about where you are at right this second. You're thinking about what might come down the line. And we'll do a whole nother episode about being present and like all of that stuff. But I just wanted to point that out in this episode, because I know for many of you being present and staying in the moment, like that's why you meditate. That's why you do the deep breathing. That's why you try to bring yourself back to your body and focus on right now, because so much of our lives is lived in the future. So much of our lives is lived worrying about what is to come, especially with how much information we have access to in our lives right now. So that is what anxiety is. It is a fear of the future. It is a fear of what's to come. And it is a sign that you are not living in the present. Now, let's get into a little bit of science here, some pop science, let's call it, of what causes anxiety, like what's actually going on for us when we feel anxious. Well, anxiety and mood disorders 
ultimately come from disruptions, quote unquote, in the normal function of the emotional centers of the brain. I've picked out three quotes here from the actual research document on this. I have a link to that in the description of this episode. So definitely check that out. Super, super interesting read. A little heavy on science terms, but if you can muddle your way through it like I did, it's it's really interesting just to sort of hear what the prevailing theories are on how anxiety happens and sort of what's going on in our heads. But the three quotes I pulled out are, quote, mood and anxiety disorders are characterized by a variety of neuroendocrine, neurotransmitter, and neuroanatomical disruptions, end quote. So this is real. This is an interesting line to me because the chief argument here is that anxiety and mood disorders are uh, derivations of the norm, right? So there's a normal functioning of our brain. There's a normal functioning of all the different neurotransmitters and yada, 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 like pumping freaking liquids and stuff through our brains, right? I don't know how it works. Not a, a neurologist, but there's this normal order of things. And when we are experiencing anxiety or mood disorders, that's caused by a disruption in the norm. And that's fascinating to me because it means that there is a return to normalcy. It's possible to go back to something. It's not just, oh, this is a part of life. It's this is a move away from what is normal for us. So I found that really interesting. And the second quote that I've got on this is, quote, furthermore, a primary alteration in brain structure or function or in neurotransmitter signaling may result from environmental experiences and underlying genetic predisposition. Such alterations can increase the risk for psychopathology, end quote. All right. So now the second quote, what they're saying is that those disruptions in the normal functioning of the different neurotransmitters and such in our brains, those disruptions are caused by environmental experiences. So what we're dealing with right now, genetic predisposition. So if your family it is predisposed to anxiety and mood disorders. And those two things, experience, uh, excuse me, environmental experiences and genetic predisposition, those can increase the risk for these things happening, these disruptions happening. And then the final quote I have on this, quote, symptoms of mood and anxiety disorders are thought to result in part from disruption in the balance of activity in the emotional centers of the brain rather than in the higher cognitive centers, end quote. And then so that final quote is simply saying that those disruptions are caused by changes in the balance within the emotional centers rather than in the cognitive centers. So the cognitive centers are things like your prefrontal cortex and the entire sort of frontal lobe. That's where decision making and logical thought comes from. And then the emotional centers are like your medulla, I believe, and sort of that like lower brain area. And they're saying that those disruptions are caused by changes in the balance of activity, specifically in the emotional centers of the brain with very little activity or change happening in the logical centers of the brain. Now, if we put all this together, what does it mean for us? Just as far as like an understanding sort of thing, right? So anxiety is ultimately a disruption. It is a change from the norm as it relates to uh, brain function. And those changes, those disruptions 
are caused by environmental experiences and genetic predisposition. If you have certain environmental experiences, you're dealing with certain things, or you have sort of a genetic predisposition, then that increases the likelihood that you're going to feel anxious and have those disruptions. And those disruptions are going on in the emotional centers of the brain rather than the logical. There's very little change in the logical centers of the brain themselves. What that means for me, and maybe that's what it means for you as well, is that the logical part of our brains are still functioning properly. We're just sort of getting flooded with the activity in the emotional centers of our brain. And if the logic center, excuse me, of our brain are still functioning, then there's something that we can do in that logical area to help reduce the alteration or the disruption in that environmental area. And so that brings me to the last part of this episode, which is what to do about anxiety when you're feeling it as well as prior. Well, if you have an actual anxiety disorder, then and just to define that again, if we look back at what is anxiety, quote, if your feelings of anxiety are extreme, last for longer than six months and are interfering with your life, you may have an anxiety disorder. So if you have an anxiety disorder, you need to seek help. Speak to a therapist, use a tool like betterhelp.com, use a tool like Teladoc Health, or find someone near you. But you need to seek professional help. There are people trained to help you through this and to help you better understand what is going on. And I just want to point out because I know, especially in communities of color, like there is like this weird shame in that. And it's starting to get better, but I just want to very clearly state there is no shame in going to therapy. There is no shame in seeking help for your mental health. There's no shame in that at all. It's the same as going to the doctor for a cold, right? There's no difference. And in fact, I went to, I've gone to therapy. I went to therapy for about two years. And if I still had health insurance, which right now I do not, I would go again. Like I would honestly, if it was something that I had the means to do, I would treat therapy as a regular thing that I do for the rest of my life because it is so incredibly helpful having somebody who is trained and a professional to help you deal with so many of the things in life that are causing disruptions in our brain chemistry. So I just wanted to make sure that got out there. Do not feel any sort of embarrassment or any sort of like weirdness around seeking help if that is what you need. Now, if you don't have a disorder, there are some strategies you can employ. And many of these are coming from an article on healthline.com, which I've got linked up in the description for this episode. So there's 10 main strategies that we're going to look at. The first is to breathe. And this is one that I'm just sort of bringing to the table, right? We've talked about it in the past, but deep belly breaths is such a phenomenal way to slow the body down to bring you back into the moment and to focus on what is happening right now. When you breathe and you focus on that breath, you give yourself the opportunity to put the pause button on whatever is happening. So that's the first big piece of advice. The second is to take a moment of quiet. Now, this isn't always possible, but if you're able to sit and meditate, if you're able to just go away into a room where you're isolated, if you're able to just put yourself into a place and in a position where you can live in the quiet of your own mind, in the quiet of the world around you, then you're going to give yourself the chance again to slow down, to get your heartbeat back to normal, to get 
your uh, breathing back to normal and start to combat the disruptions that are going on in your brain. Now, the next seven or eight here are coming directly from the Healthline article. So they say that you need to get enough sleep. And I can vouch for this. I've done many an all-nighter, many a late night. And the next day, I'm constantly, constantly anxious. And the reason for this is purely because we can't process things as well. If something even remotely negative happens, we tend to freak out more. We tend to have more of those disruptions simply because we can't process what is going on in addition to dealing with the lack of sleep that we're struggling with. The next piece of advice they have is meditating, which, like I said, in the take a moment of quiet, you just need to take that space to slow yourself down. The fifth is to stay active and exercise. They've shown in studies over and over again that people who exercise, people who stay active are more capable of dealing with stressful situations. So it's something that if you don't currently exercise, even if that's as simple as walking every day, if you don't currently take that space to be physically active then try adding it to your life because it will help with your anxiety. The next is eating a healthy diet. So diet is one of those things that if you are, and we'll talk about caffeine and alcohol and those sorts of things, but if you are consuming foods that maybe aren't that great for you, they're spiking your blood sugar, they're spiking your cholesterol levels, they are increasing your energy artificially, you're going to have nerves from that. Similar to how caffeine gets you sort of have that jumpiness, like Carbs and sugar can do that to you as well. And then when you crash, you're sort of wiped out and you have a similar effect when you don't get enough sleep. So eating a healthy diet, keeping your blood sugar balanced, keeping yourself in a place where you are able to sort of dedicate the limited resources that your body has towards dealing with the external experiences that might lead to nervousness and anxiety, that's always going to be a good thing. We already discussed caffeine, obviously alcohol and other drugs and cigarettes, like those things are not going to help you from an anxiety point of view. In fact, they're really only going to hurt you. Cigarettes, especially nicotine is not nicotine and anxiety do not go very well together. Let's just leave it there. But ultimately, there's two things. If we really look at this list and boil it down, there's two categories, let's say, of things that you can do. The first is take space. The first is to slow yourself back down. When you are anxious and that disruption is happening in your brain, you're going a mile a minute. You're processing information way too fast and you are jumping to conclusions and worrying and stressing about everything that's happening. You need to slow that down, get your heartbeat back down, get your breath back down, and that will instantly help you to feel less anxious. And the second thing, the second category of thing is to give yourself the opportunity to deal with it. And by that, I mean long-term, staying active, staying healthy, getting enough sleep, staying away from substances that might lead to more anxiety, but just preparing your physical body to be in a place to deal with all of the things that might lead to anxiety. If you can do that, if you can, when you are feeling it, slow yourself down. And then prior to feeling it, keep yourself in a, a place where you're able to deal with things then you'll feel far less anxious in your day-to-day life and you'll be able to limit the number of disruptions that you run into. So with that said, I hope this episode has been helpful. This has definitely been a super long one, but definitely important. So I hope this has been helpful. And uh, as always, be sure to click subscribe wherever you're listening to this. And remember that all big changes come 
from the tiny leaps you take every day. Every day.